line, wherever you are. Uh, you're supposed to be right there. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at the cameras. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and open up in prayer. How many have a need tonight that you'll just lift your hand? If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Uh, let's do pray tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night, overnight in particular. They're talking about some more storms potentially moving in, so pray for those that are in that path. It is a season in Texas uh, that a little a little disturbance can turn into be a, a pretty big ordeal. So uh, anyway, let's pray for those uh, in harm's way. Let's also pray as we move closer. We're, we're 10 days away from Friend Day, and uh, again, I, I know I've talked about it every week, but there's an urgency in my spirit that we we do all that we can do to get people uh, here that morning. Um, I just really, you know, the Bible says, while it's day, we must work because the night comes when we can't. And, uh, you know, let's make sure we're inviting people and encouraging them to come and be our guest. And we're just going to pray, and I want you to pray with me for souls. This is about seeing people impacted with the gospel uh, and their lives changed. So, uh, so, you know, we've got... We've got Friend Day, we have Easter the following Sunday, and then the Sunday after that, uh, we have our baptism service, and, you know, three, three days of, or three weeks of really, really good focal, uh, foc- focus ministry it yields a lot, and we want to see people move into our um, uh, growth challenge, uh, our growth track, and into discipleship, and then into ministry. And so, uh, let's just pray. Father, tonight, we're so grateful uh, Lord, to be able to come together and study your word, I thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, above all, even when things are imploding around us, Lord, you are faithful, you remain faithful. It is your nature, and that's who you are, is to be faithful. And I just pray tonight as we uh, approach your throne with boldness and confidence that you hear us when we pray. Lord, every hand that went up in the building tonight, it does uh, signify a need tonight. And I just pray, Father, that uh, no matter what that need is tonight, I pray, God, that you will bring comfort to those who are, uh, who are, who are just going through some difficult times. Uh, Lord, we lift up the Friesen family as we have the funeral for, for Brother Mel tomorrow. I pray, God, that you would just, uh, again, fill that place. Lord, thank you for the life that he lived and his faith. Lord, we rejoice in his home going. But, Lord, there's still people here that remain that, uh, Lord, are, are grieving. And I just pray you'll be that comforter to them. And I pray, Father, for those that need a touch in their bodies Lord, with the allergies and all the stuff that's going around, Lord, I thank you that healing is part. And there's no sickness too small or minor uh, nor too great that you can't do anything about. So, Lord, we speak life, health, and healing, uh, Lord, over each person here tonight. I pray for those that are online, God, that you would touch them and, and just strengthen their bodies. Uh, Lord, as we gear up for Friend Day and Easter, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would give us, uh, Lord, just that sensitivity about us, Lord, to know uh, like Philip, uh, who was commanded by you to join himself with that one. Lord, there are people that are prepared right now to receive the gospel. Lord, help us to be sensitive uh, in, in, our, in our asking, Lord. Put people in our pathway that we can ask, we can encourage to join us, Lord. And we pray for souls. Uh, Lord, we pray above all. We want the lines to be right. We want everything to be right, the special effects, the, the script, the, uh, the set, all that stuff. But, Lord, more importantly, we want souls for the kingdom. So, Lord, help us. And, Father, be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Uh, Go ahead and turn with me to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. And uh, glad to see our international travelers back home, (laughs) fresh from Israel. did you get sick of swarm over there and falafel? Yeah. <laughs> There's something wrong about mashed up fried peas. <laughs> but uh, anyway, glad to, glad to have you guys back. Um, in way of announcements, just a couple things. Uh, uh, don't forget, obviously, uh, coming up here in, in just uh, 10 days, I do want to remind you of the friend day, and please be inviting people to come. Also, tomorrow is the... Uh, senior lunch, so make plans to to be here. T- to what time, Sister Betty? Eleven o'clock. Uh, we'll start at eleven. Be here before then. You know, it's kind of funny. So, so we got a trip coming up with the seniors in May, 
And, uh, and it's, it has been like this my whole time here. Every time we've set a time to go somewhere, if we say we're going to leave at 8 o'clock, there are people getting here at 7 a.m. to leave at 8 o'clock. And I always thought, you're not going to find that in the, today's generation. You know, they might show up at 8.05. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a military guy, so if we say 8 o'clock, uh, I'm leaving at 8 o'clock. And the wheels are pulling out, and I, that's a funny story on Del Sturgeon back years ago when he was our worship pastor. We were going to a function, and uh, we're sitting in the car, and I'm watching the clock, and it, it just, that's just, uh, and, and they come peeling around the corner, and he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I bet you was about to leave. And I said, about 30 seconds, I was pulling out. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, senior lunch tomorrow, uh, want you to, to come on up and have a great time for that. We want to get into our teaching tonight. We're getting back to Joshua. And so tonight we're going to be talking about deception. Anybody ever been deceived? Anybody ever fall prey to a, a, a scam, a deception? Sure. You know, and isn't it interesting that scammers today are getting more creative than ever before? Uh, I got an email not long ago from uh, PayPal. I believe it was PayPal. Maybe an Amazon. I don't remember one of those. And, and it looks so official. You know, it was like, hey, we're we're we, we're concerned about a charge that was made on your account. You need to call us and give us your information so that we can verify that this this charge was not you. And and so what I did was I went ahead and logged on to my account, and there was no such thing on there. And I thought, uh huh. But it looked official. It looked just like their logo. And and I thought, man, these people are getting really really crafty. I thought if they put that much energy in getting a job, they'd probably do really well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they work really hard at getting somebody else's money. But uh, anyway, so we're going to be talking about deception tonight in Joshua 9. And I'll refer to the whole chapter, but uh, we'll read just a couple of verses. It says, and it came to pass when all the kings who were on, the, on this side of the Jordan, that's the Jericho side, uh, in the hills and in the lowland and all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivitite and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks on their donkeys and wineskins torn and mended, and old patches, sandals on their feet, old garments on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And we'll stop there. This is an interesting story. May the Lord add his blessing to his word uh, tonight. So, so anyway, as we get into our study, again, we're talking about courage in trying times, which again makes this a very, uh, very relevant study. I had an interesting conversation today um, as I was visiting with Sister Doris uh, with some of her company, and we were talking about just, just the time that we live in and just everything around us and you know, they're like, well, we don't understand. How do, how, how do we get so far off track? You know, how do we get so far off track to where, and, and I know it sounds political, I don't mean it to be, but how, how do we get to a place where we can't even discern and decide what, who's male and who's female, uh, a he and a, and a she, as opposed to a them and a they? Uh, how do we get so far off? And, and I said, you know, the Bible talks about deceiving spirits and seducing spirits. And I said, you know, the, the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well right now. Uh, the Antichrist is not operating right now. Uh, I, if, if we believe that these are the end times, obviously he'd have to be alive to be able to seize upon that time when the rapture takes place. But the spirit of Antichrist is been, has been around and is alive and well. And uh, we need courage. You know, we need courage that we can teach our children that there's a right way to live and a wrong way to live and that it's okay to stand up. Uh, for your values. I know it seems like every day another, an, another <coughs> assault against our faith, another company decides that we don't want you here working if you're a Christian. Uh, you know, and the sad thing, oh, just kind of a sidebar here. Some of you might remember the football coach that was terminated because he went vo- voluntarily after by himself to pray. People began to join him. He got terminated, uh, went all the way to Supreme Court, and he won. He was uh, they required to pay him back pay, and he got his job back. So praise the Lord for that victory. But, but you see, it's hostile. It's a hostile workplace. Uh, if you, 
identify yourself as a Christian. Some of you may have heard recently about Kirk Cameron, who uh, has started doing some uh, library book readings, much like they've been using the drag queens to go in and do children's story time with drag queens. He started doing it from a Christian standpoint. And recently, last week, he went into a particular uh, library and was assaulted by a bunch of protest drag queens that came to interrupt his presentation. That's just where we are. And, and we've got to have courage. We've got to have courage to stand for what is right and for what is true. And, and so as we've studied the book of Joshua, so far we have been, you know, we've been encouraged uh, with the assurance that God gave to Joshua. Remember, very beginning, he said, as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Again, it was just reminding him that all the stuff that you saw me do on behalf of Moses, I'll do the same for you. I'll be right there with you. In fact, he said not one person will ever be able to stand against you. Uh, we followed them in their conquest of Jericho. Then we saw their humiliating defeat uh, there at the outpost of Ai. Uh, and, and in these lessons, we, we see that our lives are intertwined in ways that most people never consider. I mean, again, you go back to the defeated Ai, one man's sin caused the entire nation to be defeated in a battle that should have been just a simple uh, exercise. One man's sin. You know, we witnessed in that episode how God deals with sin. And, and one of the things we found out is that God, uh, sin's not a trivial matter to God. You know, we, we, we may laugh at it. You know, they, they put sitcoms out there, and, and, and they try to get a laugh out of things that break the heart of God. Uh, and, and, again, it's not a trivial matter to God, and, and it shouldn't be to us. Now, tonight, <coughs> pardon me, we're, we're going to look at another interesting event Again, they're moving into conquest, okay? So we're, 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 we've crossed the Jordan River. We've defeated that first stronghold of Jericho. We're moving farther into the promised land. So they're in their conquest of the promised land that God had given. It was their inheritance. Remember that. You know, there, again, there's tension today about the Palestinian. The Jew. This is the, the land that God gave them. It was their inheritance. They're moving into to secure their land. Now, as we begin, uh, I'll just tell you this. There's one phrase that every one of us here have come to understand in our modern culture, and that is fake news, right? Everybody knows what fake news is. We, we know the, the, the concept. And here's the thing. While the term may be a recent term, the concept is by no means new. Basically, fake news is reporting something that isn't accurate, well, the truth is, that's been going on since the beginning of time. You know, that's been, I mean, that really has. It's been going on. Deception has been, is, has, is woven into human history. Uh, you think about even Abraham, you know, with, with his wife. Uh, I, I mean, again, deception. You go back to Noah and his, uh, you know, in that situation there. I mean, it, again, deception has been part of, of mankind's history. So we're not the first generation to struggle with truth versus lies. And we won't be the last. Human nature is wired for deception. And I'm convinced that many people today find it easier to tell a lie than to tell the truth. It's easier to tell a, li a lie than it is to tell the truth. And, and here's the thing. A good lie often sounds more truthful than the truth does. It, it does. I mean, politicians understand this very well. And people keep falling for it every election cycle. Again, a, a lie sounds really good. I mean, there's some guys that, man, they, what's that old saying, talking about a salesman, they could, they, they're so good they could sell ice to an Eskimo? You know? <laughs> I mean, you picture that imagery there, and you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes a lie sounds better than the truth. So our text tonight comes from Joshua 9, which tells the story of the Gibeonites. It's an interesting story. The Gibeonites, um, when, when you look at it, they use deception to achieve a goal with Joshua. So our text, verses 1 and 2, again, says, Now when the kings, uh, when all the kings of the west of Jordan heard about these things. Now, these things means everything that's transpired since they left Egypt. Okay, these things. When they heard about it, the kings in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, they came together. What did they do? They formed an alliance, okay? And they formed this alliance to fight against Joshua. 
Again, these things, it really is talking about the defeat of Jericho, the defeat at Ai, and, and all the Canaanites had heard about the collapse of the walls of Jericho and the burning of the city. They heard about the defeat at Ai. Probably one of the things that struck, stuck in their mind, and it may be a little grotesque, but it's in the Bible, uh, Joshua 8, 29, uh, one of the things that probably stuck out to them is after they burned the town to the ground, Joshua ordered his troops to take the king of Ai and impale him on a pole until sundown. And then they threw his body down at the city gate and covered it with a pile of rocks. So that's burning in their mind, right? And so what do they do? Well, they understand they're not, they're not formidable enough to take on Joshua and the army of Israel. So they formed this alliance to go against them. It's kind of like Joshua saying through uh, what he did to the king of Ai is like, hey, we're not taking any prisoners. You know, we're coming in to take what God had given to us, and we're not, we're, we're not going to be nice about it. We're not going to take it. We're, we're, not, we're not just going to kind of tiptoe around. We're going to come in, and we're not taking any prisoners. And that's why they formed the alliance, to fight. However, there was one tribe, the Gibeonites, that took an entirely different approach than joining up with the alliance of the other kings. And then that's verses 3 and 4. It said, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted, one translation says, they resorted to a ruse. I like that. They resorted to a ruse. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I, having, knowing what we know about Joshua and the children of Israel and how God fought their battles for them, who can blame them, right? I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're in this position knowing that you're going to be overrun by this massive army, and it's not just of skilled men, you're, you're going to be overrun by this massive army whose God is the creator God of all the universe. You're probably going to try to figure out a way to preserve. There, there's something instinctive about human nature to preserve life. There, again, God created in our DNA uh, a genetic system, that fight or flight, that if we're threatened, there, there's a response we're going to do what we can to preserve life. We're going to do, you know, you see somebody that's under attack, they're kicking and screaming and they're doing everything they can because they're, they're fighting for their life. So, so who would blame the Gibeons for, for trying to come up with a ruse? You know, again, when they heard how Jericho and I fell, they knew they didn't stand a chance. And here's the thing, they may have been pagans, but they had enough understanding to know that Joshua stood, that behind Joshua stood the God of the universe. That's an interesting thing. They had enough wherewithal to understand that behind Joshua in this army was the God of the universe, and they were no match for him. And it was a, it was a straightforward calculation. The Jews are planning to sweep through the land. When they get to Gibeon, they're going to, and again, this is how they're rationalizing. They're going to kill us. They're going to burn our cities. So we better make a deal with them while we still can. They knew that Joshua would never enter into an agreement with them because they were, again, they, they were the sworn enemy, okay? They're living in, they're occupying God's gift to, to the nation. And so Joshua was not in the frame of mind to strike a deal with these pagans. Uh, again, the Jews were on a roll. Uh, they weren't afraid of anyone or anything. So there's no way the Jews would willingly enter into a, to a deal with the Gibeonites, so what would you do then? Well, here's what they did. The Gibeonites came up with a brilliant two-part plan. And it involved disguise and flattery. Think about that. It involved disguise and flattery. That works almost every time. You know, you've heard me, you've heard me talk before about uh, people who want to butter you up to begin with. Be careful because there typically is a but. When I, when I did the funeral for Sister Lafon, I told that story about years ago when they moved here to, in 97. Uh, she, she loved, and, I, and it sounds like, I don't mean this to sound like I'm bragging because it's not, but she loved to hear me preach. She said, Pastor, you, I just think you're the top. She said, I think you preach so well, and she just loved hearing me preach. And so one day I get this letter from her. And she says, Pastor, she said, I think you're perfect. 
she, she was an English teacher, okay? So you got to understand her background. She was an English teacher. She said, I think you're perfect. She said, you, the way you articulate this and the way you do that and your homespun humor and your stories about yourself. She said, I just loved listening to you. And I'm reading this letter, and in my mind I'm thinking, okay, there's a but coming somewhere. I know there is. And sure enough, sure enough, I get to it. She said, but you have a problem conjugating your verbs. <laughs> Only an English teacher would do that, right? <laughs> She said, you, had a pro- you have a problem conjugating your verbs, in particular, sit, set, and sat. <laughs> I told this story at the funeral because uh, that's just who she was. And she said, now, if you'll let me, she said, I'll come, I'll come into the office one day a week, and I will tutor you. <laughs> and she said, then you'll be perfect. <laughs> and so the next Sunday, I catch her coming in. I said, Sister LaFon, thank you for your letter. I said, but here's the thing. I said, it's not that I don't understand syntax and grammar and the rules and stuff like that. I said, I just get preaching. I don't care. That's what I told her. So, so if you've ever heard me say, I know this is not grammatically correct. Anybody ever heard me say that? That's where it came from. I started doing that after that letter because I, I wanted her to understand that I, I do understand the rules. I just kind of throw them out the window. <laughs> There was a point to that story, and I don't even know where it was. Oh, yeah, disguise and flattery. <laughs> you know, it, it almost works. I mean, so, so here's what they did. First, they pretended to come from a long distance away. Okay, they, uh, they, they put on worn-out clothes. They packed moldy bread, and they had cracked wineskins to make it look like they'd been on the road for a long, long time. Um. Uh, and, 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 it, and it worked. And, and the second thing they did, uh, and, and by the way, that worked really well. You know, when they pulled in there to Gilgal, uh, and, and they, they, the Jews, at, you know, at first they're questioning. You know, eventually, they, I mean, there was some suspicion right away. But eventually they decided they got to be telling the truth. Look at their clothes. Look at the moldy bread. Look at the cracked wineskins. The second thing they did was they resorted to flattery. And what they did was the Gibeonites poured it on thick, with all the talk about how God had delivered the Jews from Egypt, how he had given them victory over the kings east of the Jordan, and how God had given them victory over Jericho and Ai. And, and you got to understand, they were, this was clever because it was true and appealing to the, uh, the, the Jewish pride. That's what I'm trying to say. Remember, they were a proud people. They were God's chosen. And, and that's what got them in trouble when the Messiah came. You know, they were, looking for, they were looking for a national hero to come in and restore them to their lofty position in their minds, and that's not who Jesus was. That's not what he came to do. So, so the, again, they come with disguise and they come with flattery, and it worked. It worked really well. I mean, the ruse should not have worked, but it did. Both Joshua and the leaders, again, were skeptical at first, but the Gibeonites snookered them. They, they deceived them because they weren't expecting a trick. They weren't expecting that. I, I, find it, I find it amazing, to be honest with you, how easy it was to fool them. And, and the second part of that is maybe we ought to pay more attention to what's going on around us. Maybe we ought to pay more attention to what's happening around us in the New Testament. In fact, Paul uh, said to the Corinthian believers that Satan, what does he do? He disguises himself as an angel of light. Just because, anyway, I don't want to chase that one. I mean, you understand, I mean, not everything that has wings and a harp is of God. That's being facetious, by the way. Not, not everything that, that, that sounds heavenly is of God. And I, and I think this is a lesson that we got to be, they weren't expecting this. And how many times are we, do we fall into a trap because we're not expecting, you know, the Bible says we're not unaware of his devices. We're not unaware of his schemes. And that's exactly what they did. They were scheming. He, the Bible, he comes to us like a friend, and in the end, he turns out to be a liar and a deceiver. Everything he promises is like pouring money in a, ba- in a bag with holes in it and just floods right out. You know, again, this validates the truth that things rarely appear, they, they rarely are what they, what's the they are rarely what they seem to be. That's why we should pray for discernment. 
<coughs> you know, it's like, it's like a, an unscrupulous salesman, okay? And I'm not picking, if you're a salesman, I'm not picking on you as a salesperson. But, you know, if you, you ever run across one of those unscrupulous salespeople, they, man, they, they know, they have an answer for every one of your questions. And they will promise you the moon, they'll promise you everything, and they know they can't deliver on it. You know, they know the tricks of persuasion. There are certain things you can say that will persuade people to do things. And so they know this. He knows how to turn his, uh, our objections to his advantage. And then you end up signing on the dotted line thinking you got a great deal, only later on to realize you were tricked by a con man. It happens all the time, all the time. And, and you know, my work in disaster relief, I'm telling you, when, when disasters strike, you know, we go into these impacted areas, I've, I've seen more than my fair share of people coming in to take advantage of people in their distress and in their crisis, and it, and it burns me up. When we responded to the Dallas tornadoes a, couple, a few years back, uh, I served on the executive committee for the Dallas County uh, VOAD, uh, which is part of their emergency operations there, and I served for several years on their organization. And, and we, had, we had agencies coming in claiming to be agencies that weren't. And they would go up to a person and they would do some work on that property and then submit a, a, an invoice to them and expect to be paid. And if they weren't paid, then they would work to put a lien on it. And so we actually had to work together with the various entities there in, in the county to uh, run off. We ran off several. We actually, a couple of them that were national, nationally known, I won't call their names, that we ran off because of their unscrupulous behavior. You know, we, we have to be careful. Uh, and, 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 and again, we, you know, we sign on the dotted line. They make promises they can't keep. And then we wake up and realize we've been snookered. That's exactly what happened here. So let's look at the plan. The Gibeonites, again, they lay it on thick. <laughs> they lay it on about their travels, and then they bragged about God and the God of the Jews. And again, they suspect something is amiss initially. You know, there's something that just doesn't, listen, if, there's, if it doesn't seem right, listen to that still small voice. You know, the Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. I tell people all the time, when you want to make a decision, when you have a decision to make, follow peace. Follow peace. If you don't have peace, don't jump. Amen? Don't jump. Follow peace. You know, they lay it on, again, they, they think something is amiss. They can't prove it. So what do they do? I like what the text says. You can read it later. But the text says they actually sampled the provisions that the Gibeonites brought with them. And what that means is they checked it out. You know, they show up with worn and tattered clothes, and they have the moldy bread and the cracked wine skins. And so what they do is they check the bread out, and sure enough, they found it old and, and moldy. I mean, that's plausible that they had been on the road a long time. That done, they say, well... <laughs> We think it's legit, so let's make a deal. And so they made a peace treaty with the Gibeonites, thinking everything was well. Verse 15 says, Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Now, what does that mean? Well, to make an oath meant that you made a promise before God not to harm the Gibeonites. It was a promise before God not to harm them. Now, here's the thing. That's serious. That's serious business. You can't make a promise in God's name and then casually break it. Now, again, I know we're very flippant about that in our culture today, but God takes it seriously. In fact, in Psalm 50, uh, 15 verse 4, it answers the question, who may dwell in your sanctuary? And the answer is he who keeps his oath even when it hurts. That's how much God expects when you, when you give an oath. You keep it. God takes our promises seriously even when we don't. That's why Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, it is better that you not swear before the Lord than to swear an oath and then break it later. One translation says, uh, it is better not to, uh, that, that God has no part with the fool who makes a vow and then doesn't keep it. Then doesn't keep it. Early on in our ministry here, um, Probably 90, maybe early 94, uh, I guess it was, 
I, so the way I worked my schedule when I worked for the city of Irving is I had it to where I had one day off that I could come down here, and I tried to make it Wednesday. So I worked on Monday and Tuesday. I worked longer hours, and then I was off Wednesday so I could be here, and then I worked Thursday and Friday. Sometimes I had to do stuff on Saturday. And I remember being here one day, and, and I won't call any names, but I had a couple of ladies show up at the office one Wednesday, and they brought me a legal document, and they said, we, we really want you to handle this for us. We need to get it taken care of. Now, I'm a fairly new pastor. I hadn't been here maybe a couple of years. It may have been 90, early 95. I don't really remember. But I had looked at that, and it was a promissory note that had been made and agreed to uh, some years back, maybe 15, from that time, maybe 15, 20 years prior to my coming. And it was a promise that the church had borrowed some money from a family within the church, and it was going to be paid uh, back, and it never got paid back. And so it's accruing interest every month. And they brought it me the papers, and they said, you know, we've tried to get this handled, but we really think we need to get this taken care of. I looked at it, and number one, it was not disclosed to me before I became the pastor. I didn't know anything about it. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, God, how do I hand, what do I do? So I remember having a board meeting. I called the, the board together, and we got together, and I presented the document, and I said, uh, I said, we, we need to do something about this. I said, one of the reasons I believe the church has not really thrived is because the church made, entered into an agreement with a particular family and you've not honored that agreement. And God doesn't, God doesn't take kindly to people who make a deal and then try to renege on the deal. He has no part with a fool that makes a vow and then doesn't keep it. And I said, that's a very serious thing. And I said, so we need to do everything in our power to make this right. One of the guys said, well, pastor, then why don't we, why don't we negotiate with this family and have them reduce the... The, forgive the interest and we pay the principal. And I said, no deal. I said, why, why, would I, why would I do that? You made an agreement the way it is. And I said, I think it's only fair that we honor what was committed. And so they, we all prayed about it. We agreed. We took care of it. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because I, can, I believe I can look back in time and see something changed when that vow was taken care of. When the commitment that was made was honored, things began to change in rapid succession. The first year of our tenure here, we gave $1,400 to missions, and from that point on, everything just began to, last year, $175,000 in total missions giving. We took care of a vow that had been neglected. What I'm saying is that when you make a vow, be very, very careful about making a promise because God is pretty serious about it. See, a deal is a deal. We don't make promises and break them later. We don't, don't swear an oath that you don't intend to keep. Okay, that's foolish. And don't say it doesn't matter, because it does. Because God expects his people to be truthful, amen? He expects us to be truthful. So now the deal is done, okay? The, the Gibeonites are safe. Joshua and the leaders only made one mistake but it was huge. And you can find that in verse 14. Notice what verse 14 says. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. You see that? They sampled their provisions, but they did not inquire of the Lord. What does that mean? It means they didn't pray about it. Didn't pray about it. They ate the food, but they forgot their God, which is is why they made such a, a blunder. And, and you know what? The same thing happens. If we're not careful, we can get too busy to talk to God. We can get too busy. Uh, again, ministry, you have to be very careful because you can get so caught up in the work of ministry that you, for, you know, the Lord's work, you forget the Lord of the work. They got busy, and they made this huge blunder. And again, we know it happens. Life gets hectic. You got a full agenda. Something comes up. You got to make a decision right now, Right? We don't mean to leave God out. We, we, we really don't. We don't intend, we don't mean to leave him out. But listen, unless we intend to bring him in, he'll always be left out. You see, inviting God in is an intentional, an intentional act. S.D. Gordon put it like this. 
I love this, this quote. He said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Isn't that good? You, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. You know, I, I, again, I believe there are people that have the gift of discernment. I really do. Uh, they know how to make quick decisions, and sometimes even in, in very ambiguous situations, they can make quick decisions. But here's the thing. Occasionally, it's going to get you in trouble. And here's how. You start believing in your own ability to figure things out. See, when you, when you fly off the cuff to make decisions, you got to be careful because all of a sudden you start going with gut instinct rather than prayer instinct. And that's a recipe for disaster. You know, it's easy to say, huh, I can spot a fraud a mile away. Well, good. It, glad you can. But what about when it doesn't work? And then you get conned. Far better to say, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. But it's always, it's always good to be like Jehoshaphat. I love what Jehoshaphat prayed in Second Chronicles 20. He said, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a good prayer. <laughs> Lord, I'm clueless, but I'm listening and I'm looking to you. I mean, remember, this deception happened to Joshua the second, the second to the, 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 the apprentice of Moses, the leader, God's anointed leader, God's chosen leader. It happened after the miracle of the Jordan River. It happened after the conquest of Jericho and I. All of those miracles, it happened after Achan's defeat. Joshua still forgot to pray about it. He was a good man who trusted his gut instinct when he should have said, Lord, what do we do about this? And they were snookered. Listen, if it can happen to him, it can certainly happen to us. We can all be caught. We'll never get to the place where we don't need the Lord. We'll never get there. The moment we think, Lord, I've got this, hang on, because you're about to be getting wet. <laughs> Second thing, let's look at the proper response, okay? So now they've been snookered. They've been, the, the ruse was on. They were deceived. They entered into an agreement. So here's the response. Everything goes fine for three days, and then word gets out about the deception. Now, I don't know how the word got out. You know, maybe the giving night spilled the beans. Who knows? But really, it is kind of hard to keep a secret like that, <laughs> I, I would imagine. Now, the Israelites know the truth. What do they do? Well, verse 18 through 21, the whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, and rightly so. I mean, the leaders should have known better. The leaders should have prayed through on that situation. So they grumbled against the leaders but all the leaders answered, here's what they said. We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. Well, kudos to them because they're going to honor their agreement. This is, and then they go on. This is what we will do with them or to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath. There it is again. God's wrath won't fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued. Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. So here's the thing. The leaders could not go back on their promise because they knew that God took it seriously. Again, he's not, he's not flipping about those things. So they spared the Gibeonites and their cities, but they, would, they decided that they would now become a perpetual working class people uh, for the Jews as woodcutters and water carriers. When Joshua asked the Gibeonites why they had lied, they told the truth. Here's what they said, verse 24 and 25. We feared for our lives because of you. That's why we did this. <laughs> hey, give them, got to be honest. I mean, isn't that great? They, they were truthful. We were scared. We were scared. And then they go on and said, we are now your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and write to you. Again, I, I think you have to give them credit. They made no excuses. They told the truth. Matthew Henry put it like this. He said they considered that God's sovereignty is incontestable, his justice inflexible, his power irresistible, and therefore resolved to try what his mercy was and found it was not in vain to cast themselves upon it. That's pretty good right there. 
for a bunch of pagans to understand his sovereignty is incontestable and that his justice is inflexible and that his power is irresistible. So what do we do? We throw ourselves on his mercy. Wow. They lied to save their lives, which, again, I don't think it justifies the lie, but you understand, they, it, it led them to find mercy and not destruction. And then, <coughs> pardon me, the final verse gives us a glimpse of God's grace at work. Verse 26, 27 says, So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Now, that's an interesting thing. So, so you look at that and you think, who got the better deal, right? Who, who got the better deal? On one hand, the Israelites got an endless source of labor, right? So it was a big win for them. They had woodcutters and they had water carriers. They had extra workforce to help them in their conquest of the promised land. On the other hand, the Gibeonites saved their lives. And that's a big win for them too, by the way. But notice where they ended up. I think this was intriguing to me. And when you read this story, where did they end up? Well, the Bible says, at the altar of the Lord, at the place the Lord would choose. So, so what happened at the altar? It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of sacrifice. The Gibeonites, who started out as pagans, are now serving at the very heart of the Jewish religion. Think about that. That's incredible. The very heart of Jewish religion is being served by a bunch of previously pagan people. They had a front row, they had a front row seat to watch God at work with the divine, in this divine object lesson. They learned what substitution, substitutional sacrifice is all about. They were right there serving every single day. So as I bring this in for a landing, what, so what's the main lesson of this, okay? What is the main lesson? Uh, is it about the dangers of deception, the foolishness of relying on gut instincts instead of consulting God, or, or maybe about keeping one's oath? I would say yes to all of those. I would say yes. All, all of those are important lessons, but, but there's a whole lot more going on here than that. We don't have time to get into it, but chapter 10, you can read it later. You read chapter 10, Israel now is drug into uh, a war. They go to war to protect the city of Gibeon from the other alliance. There's a lot more going on here. So you have Jews protecting one group of Canaanites, the Gibeonites, over all the other Canaanites. And it was during that battle. So, so that's the battle. That was, it was during that battle. Remember when the sun stood still? It was in that battle. They were protecting a bunch of pagans that had deceived them, but now they are working in the ministry, so to speak. It gave Joshua that moment, Joshua 10, one of the greatest victories that he had. Joshua 21, in Joshua 21, Gibeon was named one of the Levitical cities, which meant that priests live there. So again, I want you to see the picture. They started out as a pagan group of Canaanites who decided to deceive the people of God. The deception worked. They threw themselves on God's mercy. And now chapter 21, we find they have been named a Levitical city where the priests live. This guaranteed the inhabitants would never, uh, excuse me, would have firsthand knowledge of the entire sacrificial system that God had set up. When Saul massacred the Gibeonites 400 years later, you know what God did? You can read in 2 Samuel 21. God sent a three-year famine against Israel. Why? Because Saul broke an oath. You see that? 400 years later, God said, you broke the oath. And they entered into a three-year famine. That famine was not lifted until seven of Saul's male descendants were hanged by the Gibeonites in, rep in rep retribution for the massacre. God's serious about oaths. God judged his people for breaking the promise that they had to protect the Gibeonites. And again, until Joshua, excuse me, until Saul, his seven sons were, were hung for that massacre, the, 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 the famine continued. When David's mighty men is listed, you can read it in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, the list includes a man by the name of Ishmael, the Gibeonite a mighty warrior among the 30 who was a leader 
uh, and he was a leader of the 30. So that means that David, King David, the great King David, in his inner circle and one of his most trusted men was a Gibeonite warrior. When Solomon went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices in 1 Kings 3, the Lord appeared to him and asked him, and told him, said, ask me anything that you want. And it was at that place in Gibeon that Solomon said, give me wisdom that I might govern your people. In Nehemiah chapter 7, when the Jews returned from Babylon, the Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah records 95 men of Gibeon were among them who went back to rebuild. Nehemiah 3, when Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, a thousand years after the time of Joshua, men from Gibeon helped in the construction of that. So what do we make of this? Well, first of all, the Israelites kept their promise faithfully. Not only while Joshua was alive, but for a thousand years after, they kept their oath. Secondly, the Gibeonites became fully integrated into the life of Israel, some of them serving in high positions. The third thing is that, it, again, it surely means that they came to an understanding of the true God and how he must be approached through the blood sacrifice. Again, they were working in the priest, with the priests, and they had to understand the sacrificial system, so they understood the substitutionary offerings that had to be made. I think you can compare Rahab and the Gibeonites. She was a prostitute. They were con men. She lied to the king of Jericho. He lied, or they lied to Joshua. They both did what they did to save themselves from destruction. Rahab believed that God, the God of the Jews, was the one true God, while the Gibeonites said in Joshua 9.24, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses. In both cases, these pagan Gentiles had heard enough gospel to cause them to want to change sides. Can you see when I went through the book of Ruth, all of those strange things that happened in that story from the uncovering of the feet, all of those things lined out in perfect sequence. A plan that God started long before the creation of the world. Rahab left her own people to join the people of God. The Gibeonites did the same thing. They, they forsook the alliance of the Canaanites to join with the people of God. Rahab knew if, if, if she were caught, she would be killed. The Gibeonites found out the other pagans were found out by the other pagans, and they, they were sought to be killed. That's the war of chapter 10. Francis Schaeffer wrote it like this. When the land was divided, Gibeon was one of the cities given to the line of Aaron. Again, notice the grace of God. It was one of the lines... It was given to the line of Aaron. It became a special place where God was known. Approximately 400 years later, David put the tabernacle in Gibeon. That meant the altar and the priest were in Gibeon as well. That's incredible. What does it mean? It means the Gibeonites had come in among the people of God, and hundreds of years later, they were still there. They were still there. Does it mean that all Gibeonites became a believer? No, not not at all. Really, only God knows the answer. Only God knows the answer to that. But out of all the pagan nations in the land, they alone were the only ones spared, and they alone were the only ones who joined with the people of God. So as I close, so what does that say to us? Well, every one of us are like Rahab, and we're like the Gibeonites. We come in with the prostitutes and the liars, and and we have to be careful because it's easy for us to get in our holier-than-thou mindset and look down the noses, our noses at people that we think are worse sinners than we are. But the truth is, God saves people. Listen, God saves people that I wouldn't save. Anybody here relate to what I'm saying? God saves people that I wouldn't save. Aren't you, aren't you glad we're not God? I told you I have a list. I have a zap list. <laughs> you know, and that, that finger's cocked and ready to go. No, I, God say he does some strange things. He saves people that I wouldn't save. And if, if I were God, I wouldn't do that. 
which, again, is one reason more that I'm glad I'm not God. My, you know, my grace has its limits. His doesn't. He will save from the uttermost to the guttermost. He will save the most notorious sinner who turns to him. Philip Yancey said it like this, there is grace, if we say there's grace even for people like that, we've unconsciously put ourselves in a different category. There's grace even for them. What does that do? It elevates me above them. But for the grace of God, that's where we all are. See, the truth is there's even grace for Mike Mizell. There's even grace for me, and I'm so thankful. I think sometimes i got to hurry him close. We've forgotten what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He describes what we were before salvation, but then he says, you were, he says, you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's what you were. But then he goes on and says, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. There was a time when we, like Rahab and the Gibeonites, were without hope and without God. That's why the but of 13 is so important. We were, but now we are. We were like this, but we're not like that anymore. So there's a powerful lesson here as I close. God has his people everywhere. Everywhere, even in the most unlikely places. You wouldn't think that a fallen woman in Jericho would end up in Hebrews 11, but there she is. You wouldn't think lying con men (coughs) would end up serving at the altar of the Lord, but there they are. We're all sinners who have missed the mark. And I want to close with this one last thought. God insisted that they keep their oath even though it was foolishly made. Isn't that interesting? They didn't come back to God and say, yeah, but they deceived us. We shouldn't be bound to. No, 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 no. You made an oath, and you keep it. You keep it. He insisted they keep their oath, even though it was foolishly made. And I think, and, and I think it's an example of how much more will he keep his oath that is freely given. Hebrews chapter 6, because God wanted to make an unchanging because God, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. What is he saying? He's saying God wants us to be sure there's no doubt about our salvation. I've had people say, Pastor, I just don't feel it. Well, aren't you glad you don't have to feel it? You just receive it. He confirmed it with an oath. I love the word fled. We who fled to take hold of the hope. See, that's what Rahab did. She saw the writing on the wall, and she fled to that hope. The Gibeonites heard what was going on, and they fled to that hope. You and I were lost and undone in our sin. We fled to that hope. The only hope we have is in Jesus Christ. We fled to it, and God swore an oath so that we have confidence that when, when I officiate that funeral tomorrow, I'll stand there and I'll sorrow not as those who have no hope, <laughs> but I'll rejoice because there's a promise that was made that was sworn by God, was confirmed with an oath, that when we leave this body from in this world, we go to a better place. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's a place, the Bible says in him, that you can't even begin to imagine. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I'll do so with a smile on my face as I have so many other great ones that have gone on in our church family because he made an oath and he kept it. Won't you stand with me tonight? What a beautiful, beautiful story. I'm always intrigued how, you know, my mom growing up, she watched, what do they call those uh, stories? Those stories, isn't that what they called them? Soap operas? Or not, what is it? Soap operas? The things that come on TV that make no sense? Okay, yeah. <laughs> 
they called them, didn't they call them stories? My mama watched those things. There was a point to that, and I just lost it. I had, it was good. See, I got confused. I, I, I want us to close in prayer tonight. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that God has woven these interesting stories together. That's kind of, that was the point of the stories. Is sometimes out of the blue you have a, a plot twist, and you don't see it coming, and it's out of the blue, and it just sits there and causes you to stop and pause and think, man. You know, the psalmist puts Selah. <laughs> pause and think about it. I think chapter 9 is a Selah. Go in and take the land, kill everybody, burn the cities. Selah, the Gibeonites. And you follow them down, and God's grace was sufficient to where they carried on in the work of the Lord. If he can do it for them, he can do it for all of us. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? You know, I, I want to close this way. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you're online tonight, and 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 maybe, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna phrase it like this. Maybe you feel unworthy. That, that's probably the word I want to use. Maybe you feel unworthy. You you, you think, man, what 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 do I have to give? What talent do I have to use? What what who am I that he should love me? You feel so unworthy. Unworthy to even approach him in prayer and study. I think chapter 9 is here to remind us that God's grace knows no limits and has no boundaries. And if you throw yourself on his mercy, you find mercies are new every morning and you find grace sufficient for every need we have. Would nobody look around if that's you? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I'm really struggling with some areas of my life. Amen. Right up, right back down. Amen. If you're online, if you'll comment, I want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. Father, tonight, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful story that's in, uh, Lord, that's, that's here in Joshua, Lord, of the Gibeonites. Lord, I, we don't necessarily agree with their methodology, but Lord, Thank you that your grace is sufficient. Even the Syrophoenician woman who, who took scraps, who, who said that even the dogs get scraps off the floor because she needed a miracle. She came to you and approached you, even though it wasn't kosher to do so. She did it. And she threw herself on your mercy and on your grace because she understood that your mercies are new and your grace is sufficient. And Father, may each of us, especially those who raise their hand and those that are online tonight, Lord, maybe we feel so unworthy. Maybe our lives haven't turned out quite the way we wanted them to. We wanted it to. Maybe there are things that we're struggling with in our life. Maybe there are attitudes or maybe there's habits. Maybe there are, uh, Lord, there's things in our life that we just, we just know that we need to change. But, Lord, we, it, just, it just beats us down and beats us down. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, you would help us. Help us to know that your grace is sufficient for right where we are. Lord, we're struggling, but you're there. We're hurting, but you're there. We're unworthy, but Lord, your touch makes us worthy. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us tonight. Let us know that you have inscribed us on the palm of your hand, and there's no devil in hell that can take us out. Furthermore, there's no weapon formed against us that can prosper, and anyone that rises up against us will fall. That's the word of the Lord. So help us to be encouraged tonight. And Father, as we go out of this place, I pray, Father, we go out rejoicing, knowing that our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We don't rejoice because demons are subject to us. We don't rejoice because sickness and disease is healed in your name. We rejoice because our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And for that, we are thankful. Give us a great restful night tonight. May we sleep soundly in you. Wake us up with a spring in our step and a song in our heart. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thanks for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.